Today's message is called Fullness of Joy. As you know, we just lit our third candle, the pink candle. Um, I looked uh, several different traditions why it's pink is because it's the other other ones. Purple oftentimes represents repentance of getting our hearts ready. And I think the other messages kind of talk about getting our hearts ready. And uh, in fact, we just completed a whole series on the first part of Revelation of just a a very soul-searching time of getting our hearts ready for the Lord. And so now we come to the teaching on joy. As we approach Christmas Day, we studied, we studied all the biblical concepts. I talked about peace, and uh, we're doing joy this week, and next week we'll do love. Um, learned, and last week we talked about how the peace is not just, not just that there's peace in the world, but Jesus came to make peace with God. It's something that we could do by dying on the cross. He made peace for us, and that's why we celebrate today. And so today we're going to seek to understand the biblical concept of joy as God intended it for us. So I want to begin by going back to the announcement of of joy to the shepherds. Luke 2, verse 8. You remember this. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Good tidings of great joy. What exactly does that mean? What is joy? Or what is great joy for that matter? To truly understand the meaning of joy and to differentiate it from the carnal joy or happiness, we need to study how it's used in context. That's one of the first rules of studying the Bible is to look at it in context. Not take it out and say what we think it means, but to study it in context. The angel's first words were not, I bring you good tidings of great joy. The first words were, do not be afraid before the announcement of great joy followed. So what does fear have to do with joy? Is there a connection? Well, biblically speaking, there's a definite connection which helps us to fully understand and receive and appreciate the joy that God showers upon us. However, most people are not aware of this connection. Most think that joy is a human response for a blessing that they've been giving, given. In fact, even many Christians misinterpret verses in the Bible about joy. One of the most common misinterpreted verses and most common wrongfully, wrongly applied verses about joy can be found in the book of Nehemiah. Maybe you've heard this verse before. Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. Maybe you've heard this or saw it on a card or a painting or a social media post. Maybe you've heard someone try to encourage you you by saying something like, enjoy your time with God. Have joyful in God's presence. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. But then if you can't muster up enough happiness, you begin to think that something must be wrong with you. How come I don't have that joy of the Lord? That means I'm going to have no strength. That's because that verse was taken out of context, if you heard it that way. 
It has nothing to do, this joy has nothing to do with happiness or an external blessing that might cheer you up or put you in a positive mood. Here's the context for that verse. It's in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to study this verse by verse as we often do. Nehemiah 8 verse 1. It says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded Israel. See, on this day, all the people, all the people, not just those who made it to the synagogue, but all the people came together as one for one single solitary purpose. They didn't come to socialize and they didn't come out of obligation. They came because they wanted to hear the Word of the Lord. Very few people in those days were literate in the written language of the Torah. Thus they called on Ezra, who was an official scribe, to bring out the book of the law for all to hear. Yes, they were commanded to read the law, but they were sincerely interested to hear it for themselves. As each person used the law like a mirror, to line their lives up against it. How am I doing? I'm going to open up the law and look at it. How am I doing? Do I look like the law? No. I'm guilty before God. That's why we need Jesus. The Bible is not used to give us a pat on the back. The Bible shows us that we are all guilty before God, but we have the answer. We have the Savior in Jesus Christ. And so they looked at the law to see if their, if their lives were lining up to it. It's how they all knew how they were doing. It was their measuring stick. Thus they came hoping to understand what the law meant to the nation Israel, but also what it meant to each one of them. There was a corporate interest for all of them, but there was also an individual interest, just like there should be for each of us Sunday morning. We come corporately to see what God would speak to us as His people, the body, but also to each of us individually because each of us comes here with a different need in our hearts a different direction in our lives. Nehemiah 8, verse 2. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. Everyone was gathered there, including those who didn't understand the law for themselves. They had to rely on the learned men who could explain it to them. Nehemiah 8.3 Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men and women and those who could understand and the ears of all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. Notice, <clears throat> this was not a 20 or 30 minute message or sermon. This reading of the law went from morning until the middle of the day. So in like fashion, I'm going to preach until the middle of the day today. Just kidding. Thanks for not throwing the tomatoes. But this reading of law that they all came excited to lasted for hours. There was no complaining. There was no griping from the people. They had come to hear from the Lord. And this verse tells us that the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. 
How often do you think that happens on a normal Sunday in churches all over the land today? Where every single person is attentive to the reading and the teaching of the law, of the Word. No one's mind was wandering. No one fell asleep. No one was getting preoccupied thinking about their day. No one worried about what others around them might be thinking. Everyone, all the ears were attentive to the reading of the law. Just in that statement alone, you can see that when God's people came to hear the Word, they were ready to receive from Him. Ready to obey. Ready to learn what He would say to them. How about you? Do you come to church expecting God to speak to you individually for what you're going through in life at this very moment? Do you come here saying, oh great, it's a message of joy and you have no idea what I'm going on in my life? Or do you say God is bigger and God can speak to me and God will speak to me? I'm coming to receive. Through the teaching of the Word, through those songs of worship, through the movement of the Holy Spirit, through fellowship with one another, I'm going to come to church expecting to receive. Do you expect Him to speak to you through the Word, through worship, and through prayer this morning? What we receive from the Lord on any given day is directly proportionate to how we make ourselves ready to receive. We could come to church and we could complain that the music's too loud or it's too cold or we don't like the color of the carpet or anything. Or we can say, God, I'm coming because you have drawn me and I'm asking you to speak something to my heart. And God, I know because you created the whole world, you're able to speak something different to every one of us. Amen? He is. Something and in something that we do today, God is big enough to speak something directed to you. And if you believe that, and then you come expecting to receive it, then you're blessed. We always come expecting to meet the Lord. Nehemiah 8, verse 4. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which they had made for the purpose, and beside him at his right hand stood Mattathiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Messiah. And at his left hand, Padiah, Mishael, Micaiah, Hashem, Hashbadana, Zechariah, and Meshulam. Why do they put all those long words that are hard to pronounce in there? Why? <laughs> it's because God cares about every one of us. He knows us by name. He knows every hair on your head or the lack of hair on your head. Every one of us is important. Every one of us. This reading of the law was a purposeful action by the people. For they made a raised platform for this occasion so that all could see and all could hear. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people. For he was standing above the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Did you catch this detail? Not only did they come to the public square, not only did they remain attentive for hours without losing their focus or drawing attention to their bodily discomfort, the entire time that the book was read, the people remained standing. Nehemiah 8.6 And Ezra blessed the Lord 
their great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. Amen. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Another sign that shows that people were expecting to receive from the Lord and making themselves ready to receive was that they worshipped Him. They shouted, Amen. Which means, I believe or I agree. They lifted up their hands in worship. They then bowed their heads and they put their faces to the ground laying prostrate, recognizing the holiness of the place where the Word was being read. We do joyful things in church and joyful things in gathering, but there still needs to be a reverence for the God, for our God is holy. There was great reverence for the Lord, great reverence for this time. As they all consecrated themselves, what's that mean? It means they separated themselves from what they were caring about that day or what they were thinking or how they were feeling. They consecrated themselves for God for that very moment. They made themselves ready to hear the Word of the Lord. And they were all together, which is another precursor to receiving from the Lord. If you remember on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, He did not fall until it said they were all assembled in one place and they were all together. There is power in unity. Yes, we have differences and we celebrate our differences, but we come here lifting up the name of Jesus. And when we are together, God brings a blessing. In fact, the Bible tells us in one of the books of Psalms that where there's unity, God commands a blessing. Where there is unity, God commands a blessing. This is why we spend so much time working through issues with people. Not ignoring them or thinking that they'll go away, but we work through forgiveness. We work through forgiving ourselves and repenting ourselves. And if we have ought with a brother or sister, we work through that issue so that we can gain a brother or gain a sister. And we practice forgiveness. We practice understanding. We seek to extend grace. And we pray to become one body united by the blood of Jesus. Nehemiah 8.7 Anybody want to volunteer to read this one? Also, Yeshua, Fani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai, Hodijah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Peleah, and the Levites help the people to understand the law. I wonder if they helped them to understand how to pronounce their names too. All of these important people were there. Not just one person, but all these important people to help them understand the law. Why? Because different people learn in different ways. How many of you remember, without saying any names, your favorite teacher in school? How many of you remember a bad teacher too? <laughs> I saw those hands go up even quicker. <laughs> right? Right? But even some of those teachers that maybe didn't connect with us, there are some people that they connected with. Why? Because we all learn differently. I have friends that just need a, a, a they want just a quiet, peaceful direction from the Lord. I have another friend that says, I'd like God to take a two-by-four and whack me in the back of the head with it. I need it straightforward. 
I have people that, I know people that learn best not by hearing things, but by doing things that God applies an analogy in their life. They understand it that way. We all learn differently. So God, in His infinite wisdom, brought all these people to teach people in many different ways. That's the value of having many people. Even if you look at our worship team, which is growing, praise God, we didn't put an ad in the paper. It was Scott and Ruth and Scott and Devin's been playing and Joanne's coming back. There's many different types of worship to just to offer the different ways that we can receive. Same here. Many different people were there for the sole purpose of helping people understand the law. God held the teachers of the law in highest esteem. For they held the key to understanding. Without them, people would wander and not know what what is expected of them. Understanding the Word of God was the greatest need and the greatest desire of all in those days. How about you? Is your greatest desire to understand what God's Word means? And what He's speaking to you at any one time. Yes, it's great to hear the history and the different things, but how great is it to know what He's speaking to you? How it makes sense to you? How it can apply to your life? That should be our desire. I want to make it so I understand it for me so that I can live a peaceful life, so I can bring in the Kingdom of God, so I can share it with others, so I can teach my children and my family. Is your greatest desire to understand what God's Word means and what He's speaking to you at any one time? And what are you doing to show that this is your greatest desire? Are you spending more time in the Word? Are you in a Bible study? Have you been to a service outside of your normal Sunday service? I'm not saying that of obligation. We do a fantastic Wednesday night service and spent begun. Just a great small group, and the people that have been coming are just loving it. I'm not saying everyone has to be there, but I want to invite you to come. Do you journal when you pray and read? If your life is not bearing all the fruit that you would like to bear, then I encourage you to make the effort to spend more time outside of a Sunday morning with the Lord. Listen, don't wait till New Year's Day so you can make a New Year's resolution that you can try really hard and stop. I heard this bad joke before. <clears throat> I know pastors are you're supposed to say bad jokes, so New Year's resolution, maybe you've heard it before, but they said on New Year's Day I'm gonna I'm gonna start a new place and call it resolutions. So in January I make a resolution and the whole rest of the year I'm gonna turn it into a bar. Try really hard for a month and say, ah, oh, the heck with it. Right? Listen, we don't need to wait till January to make a resolution. We can do it now. We can do it at any time. My resolution is to grow closer to God. It's to spend more time in His Word. Maybe I'm going to join a Bible study. Maybe I'm going to do an online study. Maybe I'm going to study with my kids. Maybe I'm going to start journaling. And if I have a question, I'm going to go to a trusted brother or sister and ask what it means or say, I think God is speaking this to me. What are we doing? You know, wise men still seek Him today, and so do wise women and wise children. Nehemiah 8, verse 8. 
So they read distinctly from the book in the law of God and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. The teachers of the law helped all the people, even the people that had a question to everything they said. I'm a teacher. You know that person has a question everything you say? They did because they knew the greatest thing was to help every single person understand. The young, the old, the new. Now remember that this is the context. Why am I talking about this? Because this is the whole context for that verse about joy. They came there to understand the Word of the Lord. They came there to use it as a mirror to see if their life lined up against it. They stood for hours. You're probably thinking, I get it. I understand the context now. The people are joyful now because they can understand the law. They can understand it makes sense to them. That's why they're joyful. Well, they certainly are thankful. But I want to let you know that joy wasn't just the response that they had. They had to be commanded in this verse to be joyful. It wasn't a response because they were thankful or blessed. So let's read on in context. Nehemiah 8.9. It says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor... Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. In context, as the people heard the law and began to understand it, they used it like a mirror to line their lives up against it. And every one of them, because they were honest and expecting to receive individually, every one of them instantly stood in guilt. They came to see what God would speak to them, and they saw my life does not line up with God's expectation. So they began to mourn, and they began to weep. For we all fall short of the glory of God, every single one of us. We all have sinned, the Bible says. We all miss the mark. Every one of us stands guilty before our God. If we take His Word to our hearts and stay attentive to His teachings like these people did, we would all find ourselves in the same place. Thus the people greatly feared the Lord for they knew that they did not measure up to His expectations and to His commands. All the people, all of them, wept when they heard the words of the law. And yet they were still all together. There wasn't one that person that said, I don't know why you're weeping because my life's pretty good. Every one of them, they came to expect to hear from the Lord and they also came to say, I missed it, God. My life does not line up. They were all weeping. This was a great picture of a time of repentance because they all acknowledged their failings and they all went to God knowing that they had upset God. Acknowledging their brokenness before God. This was the true context for this verse. They were broken. They were afraid. They were honest. They were weeping. And then Nehemiah 8.10 comes in. Then he said to them, Go your way. I see your heart. I see your honesty. I see that you are genuinely grieved. I see that you are all honest and mourning. But go your way. Eat the fat. 
drink the sweet and send those portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you understand that? They were mournful and they realized they had had let God down. They were broken and honest and that's all that God asked for is a broken and contrite heart so that God can fill them and God can forgive them and God can say, I am the answer. All I need you to be is honest. And as they are honest all together, God said, you're forgiven. You have light. Be joyful. I have your answer. I know you can't do it on your own. That's why I'm sending Jesus, my Son, that all you need to do is believe what He did for you, that He died for you, because you couldn't make peace with God, but Jesus through the cross made peace with God. So rejoice. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn favor or earn peace or earn joy. We can receive it by accepting what Jesus Christ has done for us. See, because they feared the Lord, because they took His Word to the heart, because they didn't blame anyone else and said, I'm only this way because of what you did. But they individually lined up their lives with God's commands and they wept in repentance. In other words, they prepared the way for the Lord. They didn't hide behind excuses. They said, God, I don't know about so-and-so and so-and-so, but in my life, this is often my life. I need you, God. God saw their hearts. He saw their openness and their honesty and their desire to seek Him. Thus, God spoke through this leader. He had to command them to be joyful. The same joy that He commands us today. Be joyful. I see your hearts. I see your desire to become more like my son. Receive that gift of joy now. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, when you take the time to come to God and faithfully take care of your personal business with Him, to seek forgiveness, to accept His grace, and to expect God to move in your life, then God plants a seed of joy in your heart in the fertile soil of your heart that has been prepared for Him. We do this each week. After there's a message, there's a song of reflection. It's a time to really reflect on what God spoke and the message or what He spoke to you or maybe what He's still speaking to you. Sometimes we confess our sins and we acknowledge those things before God. And sometimes we're just asking God to continue to speak to us. So God plants this seed of joy in their hearts. Thus, we see that the fear of the Lord is connected to the full realization of receiving the joy of the Lord. This is how the joy of the Lord becomes your strength because you knew what you lost and now even more greatly you appreciate what you have gained. This leads us back to our story on that first Christmas day. Let's go back to the angelic announcement with our newly found understanding. Luke 2.10 says, Then the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Let me ask this. Why would shepherds be afraid? 
After all, shepherds were about as tough as they came. My wife Nancy and I were watching this reality show called Tough as Nails. Tough, tough people. Tough people. Shepherds were as tough as nails. After all, shepherds lived out in the wide open. Remember, they were keeping watch over their flock at night in the field. They weren't tucked up into the hotel in town and hiring someone else to go watch their sheep. They were tough people. Out in the wide open fields with no cover as they watched their flocks by night. They surely at many times had to fight off wolves, not with a 9mm, with a staff to beat something over the head. And ferocious predators, that would, they would come as they guarded their livestock. These guys had to be as tough as they come. And yet God knew they were afraid. That's why He spoke to them first. What was there to fear? Well, shepherds this close to Jerusalem were almost certainly herding sheep to be used as Passover lambs. Thus, these were not just shepherds. They were Levitical priests who feared the Lord. They knew that just like all of us, they had sinned against God and their sin had separated them from God. They knew they had to follow God's commands precisely in order to have their sins atoned for. And while there is little on earth that these shepherds feared, when the heavenly hosts filled the skies above, they all had a healthy fear and great reverence for the Lord and His message. Just like those people back in the open square with Nehemiah. This was not happenstance that the angel first appeared to shepherds. It was by God's design, for He knew that they were ready. He knew that those who feared Him and had prepared their hearts for Him. The shepherds would be the first one to hear by God's design. They'd be the first one to hear good tidings of great joy. The tidings were good because they were both wonderful and amazing. For such is the birth of Christ to a virgin. God was coming to His people personally. His goodwill and amazing love was extended to those on earth and how, and now it was clearly displayed in the most miraculous way. The promises and the prophecies relating to the Messiah were being fulfilled and the work of salvation and our peace and pardon and righteousness was about to be accomplished. Here was the great joy, not carnal joy, but spiritual. Not imagined, but real. Not temporary, but lasting forever. And not small, but great joy, unspeakable and full of glory. These humble shepherds were ordained to be the first people to hear of the good news that Christ was born in Bethlehem. They were the first ones who had the honor of going to worship the King. Put yourself in their place. Being chosen specifically by God, not because of your talents, not because of your connections or your history or your charm, but chosen because you were humble enough to seek the Lord even in your broken condition. You didn't let guilt or shame keep you from coming to God. You didn't take your thoughts of yourself or what other people said about you to keep you from coming to God. You came to God humbly to seek Him, 
Not to think about how bad things are in your life, but to seek Him. You were broken before Him. You faithfully prepared your heart and your life and yourself for Him. Your choice to fear the Lord, to revere Him in His holiness, is what makes room in your heart for Him. The truth is that God desires to speak to every single one of you today. He asks all of us to rend our hearts and to make room for Him. And if we are faithful to humble ourselves, to come expecting Him to touch us, to speak to us, to heal us, to use us for His glory, then He will open the skies above and shine His light in your heart and in your home and in your family. And just like those shepherds, He will send you forth to share those good tidings of great joy with all whom you come in contact. This good news was to be shared with all. For everyone who trusts in the name of the only begotten Son of God will be saved by grace through faith in Him. We can hardly comprehend the enormity of that amazing message which was given to these simple shepherds on the Judean hills near Bethlehem as they watched over their flocks by night that glorious day when Christ was born. This Christmas season, God invites us not to seek the holiday, but to seek Him. And as we prepare our hearts, let us already be ready ourselves for God to open the skies and pour out His love and peace and everlasting joy into our hearts. Jesus came as a baby, an innocent child before God to show God's love to His children. No matter what you have done, no matter how you have fallen, no matter how worthless you may feel, understand that you will always be a child in God the Father's eyes. His love is unconditional. He seeks to draw you near and then holds you close. This realization is truly joy unspeakable. For nothing can separate us from our Father's love. Last verse, Psalm 16.11. It's our memory verse for today. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is a fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the power of Your Word and the truth of Your Word. We thank You that You bid us and invite us to come, to be honest and open with You, to line our lives up with You, to realize that we need a Savior. We thank You by Your everlasting love that You see us as Your children, always learning. No matter how old we are, we know we're always a child in Your eyes. So draw us close by Your love and keep us there. We thank You for the power of Your Word and the gift of joy this day. In Jesus' name, Amen.